0: Stacy was born in the small town of Geneva, Alabama, August 6, 1968. You're a young fellow. <laughs> to parents Ellis and Marie Stacy. Yes. We were raised with a dream for playing for Roll Tide. Yes. For Bear Bryant. Yes. A lot of people wanted to play for Bear Bryant, <laughs>
1: didn't they? He's a legend in the state of Alabama. <laughs> yes. So, if not all over.
0: Geneva poor. High School. You went to Coffeeville Junior College in Coffeeville, Kansas. You received a scholarship to play football at the University of Alabama. What was that like to get that in the mail that you're going to play for Crimson Tide? Well,
1: Dime? I didn't get it in the mail. I actually got a phone call okay. out in Coffeeville, Kansas. And, uh, you know, my dream started at eight years old. I saw uh, Goodness. Bear Bryant on a little black and white TV in L.A., and that's lower Alabama. <laughs> that's, where, that's where Geneva <laughs> LA, is. Yeah. okay. And uh, we, uh, Saturday morning, I saw a man on a post, didn't know him. I saw a bunch of red jerseys running out. And I said at an early age, I'm going to play for that man one day. Eight years old. Wow. And at age 20, went out on Legion Field in Birmingham, Alabama, with number 27 on, a crimson jersey. And every, all these thousands of people were going crazy, and I had tears in my eyes uh, because I was staring at that goalpost, and uh, and and just it, it it was it was a moment. You know, we have moments in our life, mm-hmm. and that was a moment for me. And living out a dream it took 12 years to happen.
0: 12 years. Yeah, and
1: I tell people this. You know, if it could happen for a small town country boy like me, it could happen for you.
0: The yeah. first game you played in Division One football against mm-hmm. Memphis State, you set a record with four touchdowns, 165 yards, and only 14 carries. You went on to carry, to rush in 1989 for over 1,000 yards. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it was an amazing... You were on fire. It was an amazing year. You know, that game, I didn't get into the second quarter. I didn't start. I wasn't a starter. And I got in and was so energized and so pumped up. But you know what, I really feel like I did not become a crimson titer uh, until the third Saturday in October. Interesting. Yeah, and that third Saturday in October is is the when Alabama plays Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now now no, we're in Tennessee. <laughs> now we're we're based yes. here
0: in Nashville, Tennessee. Let's be <laughs> kind now. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
1: but that game was like a uh, a statement game that forever uh, imprinted me in the Alabama football history. Uh, once again, I come in the second quarter and end up with uh, four touchdowns and three hundred and eighteen all-purpose yards which was an Alabama record that mm. still stands. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I remember Coach Walter Lewis, we were on our way back to Tuscaloosa. That's when we would play half of our games in Birmingham and then half in uh, T-Town. Okay. And I remember him telling me on the uh, Greyhound bus going back to Tuscaloosa that evening, he said, Saran, mm-hmm. they will never forget you. And that was like a just another moment. How, and how
0: uh, old are you then? 19? Uh, 20, 20? 20 years old, Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And so – for, you know, Alabama, born and raised in that state, you know, you're either an Alabama fan or an Auburn oh, yeah. fan. Yeah, yeah, and right. so that was my dream. And to, you know, go to the capstone and to be able to uh, fulfill that is, is one of my life's uh it's one of my life's blessings that I'm proud of. It took a lot of hard work But you know what? I mean, it (laughs)
0: wasn't easy. You didn't walk on the field and just rush for 1,000 yards, no problem? No, I did not. (laughs) (laughs) You pushed a sled. You did a few weights. You ran a few laps. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I ran two years out in
1: Coffeyville, Kansas, really, you know, uh, equipped me uh, for the next level. And I go back to those days with my head coach at the time, Dick Foster, and, and you know he was good friends with Woody Hayes. I don't okay. know if you know who Woody Hayes okay. was at Ohio State, but he had a reputation of being a uh, dictator, <laughs> a harsh dictator. And and so it, it wasn't easy getting on a Greyhound bus and
0: 30,
1: 33 hours later Miserable. getting off in uh, Coffeeville. Yeah. And but that's where I was for two years. And uh,
0: you know when, when you you say that, Saran, mm-hmm. I think a lot of our younger folks. Have a hard time understanding the grit and the discipline and just the brutal hard work, and they don't want to pay the price today. It costs. It costs, and you know, and I learned that
1: because it, nothing that good is going to be handed over to you. It's just not, it, you know, anything can be handed to you, but something good, something tangible, you're going to have to earn it. And uh,
0: where where did you get that work ethic?
1: I, well, I believe at an early age, uh, I. You know, I grew up the way uh, uh, down in L.A. with a father and mother uh, that was uh, uh, hardworking individuals that went to a textile mill uh, for hours. Uh, we grew up very poor. Uh, my dad worked a shift from 8 to 4. My mother worked from 4 to 12. And so they were really together, uh, and it was six of us, four boys and two girls. And, and What's the age span? Well, I'm the youngest boy okay. and I have a younger sister and uh, the rest, you know, were, uh, were older and it was, it was very difficult at times. Uh, poverty was an issue, uh, adequately uh you know uh, education uh education wasn't something prominent in my family mm-hmm. even though my dad always told us we better get our grades and stuff but he never graduated from high school neither did my mother it was but, sp- but
0: they encouraged you oh
1: continually t-
0: to, to work hard continually to yeah. work
1: hard and and i saw them work hard
0: and they stayed together
1: hey, they are still together 50 years wow yeah this past year 50 years so that's rare. Yeah, yeah, yes, it is. And there's been some uh, ups and downs. Uh, there's been some abuse in my home. It's been some, uh, uh, some, you know, some things that you know, as a young boy, uh, he should never witnessed uh, uh, a father do to his mother. But mm-hmm. you know, that happened. And over the years, I've been able to uh, get a hold of that and uh, have forgiveness in my family uh, with my father, and uh, we have a we have a great relationship
0: now. You played for the Philadelphia Eagles for a season, 1985?
1: It was never my goal to play the National Football League. It was always to play at Alabama. And uh, I became uh, uh, that year second team uh, All American. Uh, and I was uh, drafted uh, by the Eagles. I was their first pick in the second round. Um, it was a lot of uh, pressure, it was a lot of pomp. Uh, you know, I was going into this this new world in the northeast which is so different than than, a little
0: bit different than roll tide Mm -hmm. yeah Mm yeah
1: and um i was exposed to a number of things um there was a great deal of immaturity on my part at that time in my life even though i was surrounded by great men uh in fact my first year with the eagles i lived with randall cunningham he took me up under his wings and Every Wednesday night, we were at Bible study wow. at the great yep. Reggie White. We were at his home.
0: I, and you are what, 22 at that point? Yeah,
1: 22. And uh, I, I never was an individual that was—at uh,
0: least I thought I was.
1: <laughs> I never was an individual that was just bad, that was just, you know, constantly a hellraiser, constantly getting into stuff or drinking. and But it always seemed like there would be something that would cause— you know, me to get offset. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so that happened to me when I was with the Eagles. Uh, I was involved in a relationship that wasn't a godly relationship. Again, a time in my life where uh, the maturity level wasn't where it needed to be. And I thank God for just having his hand on me to prevent me from getting into uh, more trouble than I could have got into.
0: You left Philadelphia and you mm-hmm. played for the Scottish Claymores and the mm-hmm. World football league what was it like over there
1: it was amazing i lived in europe for practically five years five seasons and i lived in uh, scotland mm-hmm. and uh here's another exposure uh, we would play frankfurt germany we would play uh Amsterdam. Uh, we would play Barcelona, Spain. Uh, we would fly all to these different countries. Great and
0: experience. It was,
1: yeah. it was, you know, and I'm a golfer. And so I, I can remember the first time I went down uh, to the old course at St. Andrews. Oh my. Yeah. And, uh, got out there. Golfers heaven, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is.
0: Everybody's dream. Yeah.
1: And, um, so, you know, my time in Europe, I really thank God for it because I got to witness and see so much. Uh, It's a big world out here.
0: It is a big world. Yeah, Um, You were offered a job by Billy Taylor and Mm -hmm. Heath Quick of the hometown lenders. So Mm -hmm. you go from playing all over the world to working as a mortgage banker. What in the world?
1: Well, once I got out of football, I had so uh, high expectations of me in the National Football League. Mm-hmm. You know, people were saying that I was going to be an all-pro running back, and uh, they were saying that, you know, I had the Marcus Allen type of running style. And so, you know, when I did not live up to those expectations, I just kind of wanted to go into my cave. And so, being back in Alabama, everybody's going to say, well, what is Saran Stacy doing now? And... You know, man, he could have been such a great player. He could have been such. A, I heard that so many mm, times, and mm, so mm. I wanted to get away from that. I did. I just wanted to do something behind the scenes and just to have a regular job. And so Billy Taylor and and, and they offered me a job, and I said I can do this. You know, I could. I can learn it. And so I went through the schooling for it and I got educated to go into, been a mortgage lender.
0: While you're doing that, let me interrupt you. Yes. While you're doing that. Um, you know cuz we all have i've got them we got these regret demons yeah what if if then yeah. if only um how'd you process that
1: well you know for me it was it was just uh you know suppression i suppressed okay. the fact that you know i did not live up to those expectations and uh i just suppressed it and kind of just blocked it out and so i can do this mortgage stuff uh and you know just be Joe Blow and that's what I wanted to do and I, I really did and I got Was cr-
0: it was it fulfilling at any level?
1: No it wasn't but it was it was a job it paid the bills and you know and I wanted to get more grounded you know I left the National Football League uh really uh, bruised you know physically and emotionally more emotionally than physically I I think you know but it's just a uh, time in my life where it's the best of times, and then it's the worst of times.
0: <laughs> where where does your faith enter into this equation?
1: Well, I, I believe all along. I grew up in church. It was a mandate that, you know, you go to church every Sunday. And so— Was that uh, your father?
0: My mother. Your mother. My okay. mother.
1: And so— You will I, be at church. Yeah, and, and, and my <laughs> father as well. You know, we we will walk to church every Sunday, and that was just a part of life. And uh and so, you know, I always believed in God at an early age. I believed that God touched me. I was in church, and it was one of those sermons: um, go to hell or you can go to heaven. You know,
0: <laughs> and you know, <laughs> Turner turn Burn, yeah, yeah, Turner burn. Yeah, turn burn. Yeah,
1: turn burn sermon, and uh, and I said I I want to, you know, right there in that seat, and I said I want to go to heaven, you know, and I, you know, I believe in Jesus, and uh, I believe God touched me right there in that seat in that church at an early age. Now we got baptized and. And so I grew up with God, but I could be honest and say, you know when I went out to college, I didn't live the godly principles, so I started diving into you know alcohol and sex and women and 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 so and then when I got to Alabama, it increased well uh, let me, again, let know. me
0: interrupt you when when you think of your past and I've yeah. got a checkered past as yeah. well mm-hmm. um how do we help a nineteen twenty year old young man who and the opportunities they have today are worse than what you and I had. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we're a little bit different in age. Yeah. But it's so much easier today than even it was for you. Yes. How do you help them to stay away from all that? And, and not in a legalistic way mm-hmm. and, you know, don't do that. And what, what did you say to them?
1: We have to be transparent. We have to be honest. We can't be up here on the stage and they way out there in the audience. We have to bring them to us. We have to connect and tell them the truth. Tell them the truth, just what I'm saying now on this radio station. You know, the scripture says there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You know, that's who I was, but that's not who I am now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I can use who I was to be able to bless someone else. I can use the man that I was as a teenager, the choices. That's what I tell them. I tell them it's the choices that you're making right now that's setting up so much in your life. And so it's like it's like uh, Robert Frost, the two roads that diverge in the yellow woods. And I'm sorry, I could not travel them both. You know what? He ends up by saying, you know, I'm going to be saying this with a sigh from ages and ages. Hence two roads diverge in the yellow woods. And I I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the, all the difference. Yeah. And so at this time in our life, we've got to make this choice that's going to make all the difference. And we need people like yourself and myself being able to be transparent with our, with our young people and, and, and connect with them because it's a struggle. It's a struggle when most of us grew up, uh, at least I did. I, I heard, you know, this is what you don't do, but what I saw was different. And as men, we have to not only say it, but we have to live it and Teenagers need to see leaders that are not just saying it, but they are living it. And so I believe that's, that's your question. That's how you reach them.
0: And you do this not only through Bill Glass Prison Ministries, but the FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Mm-hmm. And there's a number of your YouTubes online that folks mm-hmm. can watch where you're talking to young adults, young mm-hmm. young uh, teenagers in mm-hmm. audiences. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to uh, a horrible day in November 11th, 2007. You are married. Your wife, Ellen, and mm-hmm. you have Laquisha, Bronson, mm-hmm. Sydney, and Ellie, mm-hmm. and your daughter in the car, Shelly. Yes. Shelly, mm-hmm. tell us what happens. Well,
1: it is a uh, it's it's a, it was a horrific uh, tragedy uh, that um, forever changed my life, Shelly's life, Shelly's grandmother, Shelly's aunts, my parents. It forever impacted us. It was Thanksgiving uh, to go back to that night. We were getting ready for Thanksgiving. And, you know, Michael, I had got to a place where, you know, when I was talking about, you know, I was not the man that I needed to be with maturity. Uh, their maturity had uh, taken place in my life, and I was grounded. I was married, and I had a job. Uh, I, had a, I, had a, I had an awesome church that we went to every Sunday uh, without fail. I prayed, you know, over my family. I mean, it was, it was a, it's kind of like, you know, who is this guy? Mm. <laughs> you know, I rededicated my life to Christ in 2004. And, uh, you know, I got on fire per se. Mm. Uh, I started witnessing, I started doing prison ministry. I started, you know, talking to the least of these. And, and actually my wife, Ellen, she was, she the an amazing woman, uh, she was not just a wife but a mother. But you know, she was the architect behind the the forgiveness that brought forth with my father and me. Wow. Yeah. She it's it's how the, long had y'all been married? We were married we were going on our fourth year of marriage and uh, we cohabitated ten years mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know, again I didn't do things the right way. Uh but but by God's grace, you know, we were, we got married and, and we were we were here at that time, you know, making a difference mm-hmm. in the kingdom of God. And and so I partnered up with Bill Glass Prison Ministry. That was on my off time. I was working with uh, Wells Fargo. Mm-hmm. No, I was working with Countrywide. I was working with Countrywide. I had left Wells Fargo. And so we were preparing for an awesome Thanksgiving. And um, we went to Geneva. Geneva is about mm, maybe 40 minutes from, from my home in Newton, Alabama, and that's where my parents and every all of us lived, born and raised there. And so we were talking. Uh, Ellen was talking to my mom about what she was going to cook for Thanksgiving. All of my brothers and sister were coming together, all six of us, for the first time in 20-something years, were mm. all coming back together for the first time wow. to have Thanksgiving. And And so my mom was telling Ellen – I remember this. She said, "I want you to cook those collard greens that you make." <laughs> and um, and Ellen was saying, you know, and they were just talking. It was just a conversation, you know how it goes. And it was getting late, and I said, "Mom, we got to get on home." And and so I got to stop through Hartford and pick up uh, Lucretia and Sydney, uh, who I followed with my high school sweetheart before I was married. Again, you know, I didn't do things the right way, but I loved my girls and. Um, and so Hartford was in between Geneva and Newton. So we leave my parents, we stop in Hartford. I pick up Sydney and Lucretia, who was in college at Lorne B. Wallace Community College in Andalusia. She was playing a girl fastpitch softball. And my eldest daughter, she was she was a young African American girl who who was overcoming the odds. You know, the odds say she's going to get pregnant at 13 and 14 and have babies and get on child's support and get on WIC and get on governmental uh, programs and so much. But she, I would speak life over her pastor. I would tell her, you know what? You're not going to end up like this next girl. And it's so important. You know, it's so important for us as men to speak life over our sons and our daughters. You know, I didn't get that. You know, I didn't get that as a young boy and uh, and not to blame, you know, right, my trouble, right. my father or anything like that. But I, I can see how a difference uh, it has made in my life by just the change of my words, how powerful words yes, are. are. And and so we stopped through. We, it was November the 19th. November the 20th was Lucretia's birthday. Ellen and I were going to surprise Lucretia or Tootie, my nickname for her, we were going to surprise Tootie with a a car because she was doing so good mm. in school, and she was she was doing so good. She was uh, she was doing a, uh, actually a Bible study with a lot of the girls over there. Uh, the coach said that she was one of the leaders as a freshman on the team, mm. you know. And it was like you know we were just proud of her sure. and she was making good grades Encourage and her. yeah and and so we 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 picked her up and we picked Sydney up and we were always close as a family even though we had two different households and we we were on our way to uh my home and I got about 1 mile away uh from my home and witness say this uh, I got to an intersection at 84 and highway 123 and the light turned green and um I went through and uh, an individual who I did not know, uh, an individual who was drunk, individual who I feel uh, was very angry. He goes over 12 to 14 miles just recklessly hitting other cars in a four-lane highway. And uh, the state trooper say, uh, in fact, I had the 911 phone calls in my home in Newton. The people that he were hitting, uh, they were saying, please come help us. We're in a ditch. Uh, we've been hit by a man on a truck and, um, uh, and so he, he kept going, he, he kept on going. And, um, uh, and, and he, he, what the state trooper tells me that at the turn, when he saw my vehicle going through the red light, he actually went straight into it and, uh, he hit us and, um, uh, that night, he he uh, murdered my wife, who was 36, and my 18-year-old daughter, uh, who was 18, and uh, Bronson, my son, who was 10 years old, and my nine-year-old daughter, little uh, Sydney, and my two-year-old little baby, little Elian Marie, uh, named after um, the two grandmothers. And uh, I went into a coma. Shelley was in a coma. The paramedics say when they got there, it took them about 15 minutes to get inside the vehicle. And um, and when they were pulling people out, uh, many of them could not take what they were seeing. And so um, I was in a coma, Pastor, and uh, I, I, did, I never got a chance to say uh, goodbye to any of my family members that night. I can't remember anything about it. Uh, The coma that I was in, they had said that uh, he he's not going to remember what's happened and you're going to have to tell him. And it took like maybe a year later or so when people were coming and telling me that they were inside the hospital holding my hand. One of them was Gene Stalin, who was my Mm. who's my college coach. And he was saying to me, Saran, don't you dare die. And uh, I had five life-sustaining injuries, Uh, a cracked skull, a broken ribs, a punctured lung. Uh, You know, I was—my liver was bleeding. Mm -hmm. Um, No one should have survived uh, the tragedy. Uh, Shelly, who was four and a half at the time, they flew her to the Children's Hospital in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. They medevaced her up there, and they— from what the pilots were saying that Shelley had actually flatlined on that flight. And, um, mm. and I believe this. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm on your show to thank the many people that have prayed when they found out about that, or when they heard about it, uh, that night they started praying and they, they said, God do something. Mm-hmm they knew I played football at Alabama and I played in the national football league. Uh, it was on ESPN. It was on CNN. It it was, it, it went national nationally. Mm -hmm. And so, so whoever heard it that knew me, if they knew God, they started praying. Mm -hmm. And, and so those prayers, I believe, I believe that's why Shelly is 11 years
0: old now. Does Shelly have any memory of the accident? She don't remember either. Mm -hmm
1: she don't remember and uh i come up uh and i guess 10 days later it was november the 29th and you know that was the day that we were actually doing the funerals
0: i was going to say so they buried no. your family and well, you're I, still in a coma
1: no i was in a coma and they they released me out of the hospital uh because of they had to put the bodies okay. in the ground and and so that day on the the 29th i saw uh, my 18-year-old daughter and my 9-year-old daughter, Lucretia and Sydney, they did the funerals in Hartford, and um, it, it was perplexing. I, I can't even describe it. It took me a while to to get the word to describe what I saw on November 29th. After we buried uh, Lucretia and Sydney in Hartford, Geneva, which is eight to ten miles away, we went to. Geneva. My brother Bruce told me this. He said, we got to go to Geneva now. And I said, why are we going to Geneva? He said, that's what Ellen Bronson and Ellie is. And in my mind, you know, they said that, you know, you have to tell me over and over and over right. that they were gone. And so in my mind, there was a part of me that believed that I was going to see, see my that. wife. Yeah. And so we get there and it's nighttime. I'm in the same suit that I bear uh my two daughters in Hartford in and I walk into a funeral parlor and I see my entire church family from Destin, Florida. That's where we were going to church at the time, Destiny Worship Center. And I remember Pastor Steve Regales. he comes up to me. He grabs me by the coat. He says, Saran, they are just shells. And I was like, "What you, what is he talking about? And uh, when I got away from him, I saw for the first time my two year old baby in a casket. And I remembered that something went through me, and I hit the floor, mm. and my friends, they came, and they they pulled me up. They said, you got to get through this. And uh, and I saw Ellen and Bronson, and I, and I remember uh, that night going home in Newton. I didn't want to be around anybody, mm-hmm. and I remember... Praying that night, God bring him back to life. Mm. You can do it. Mm. He's God; He can do anything. And I remember, I had all of my uh, anointing oil out. I just I wouldn't ac- accept it. And um, the next morning, my brother come picks me up, and uh, we're going to the funeral. I don't say a word to nobody. We get to the funerals, and the church is packed. I still don't say a word to anybody. And Pastor Steve gets up there and preached a message. Uh, I remember it. It was he was talking about Hebrews. He was talking about the author and finisher of our faith. That was that was all I heard, it, you know. And he was he was talking to Jesus, mm. and um, and then came time to. St- you know say goodbye and they had the caskets open and I went to that casket over Ellen and I couldn't even walk at the time uh, my coach had to hold me up because I had coughed I was coughing up blood that morning and my reels were broken and uh my lungs were punctured I did I couldn't even breathe really but I remember whispering to uh, to Ellen and it's amazing that I'm going this deep because I rarely go uh, but I remember whispering to her, get up. You Mm -hmm. can hear me. You get back up. Mm -hmm. And I said, he said, Saran, we got to go. And I said, Coach, if you just let me kiss her before I go. And I couldn't bend down myself. He had to help me bend over because of my ribs. And when my lips touched her lips, something just shocked me because her lips were ice cold. Mm -hmm. And it was the, it's like a realization but there's is, this is a finality She's with gone. death, gone. and that was the finality to it. I knew God wasn't going to bring them back, and we put them in the ground, and, you know, <laughs> the next day I started what I called a lonely walk.
0: You never, you never get over it, do you? You know, I— You walk through it, but you never get over it. Yeah,
1: you walk through it. The word that God finally gave me when people were asking me, you know, you know, they they would try to, you know, people don't know what to say. Right. You know, but I read this last year on the back of my porch. I was reading in the book of Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of this great fish. And he said that he prayed to God because he was in the belly of hell. He, he said he was in hell. And so that spoke to me. That's. That's what eleven nineteen o seven 7 if there was any word that I could describe that's what it that's that's what it is' it's hell that's what it was you know I was in that hell I could somehow connect with Jonah hmm. his life, his mission, things that he didn't accomplish he didn't do, and yet now he's in hell, and he wanted out he wanted out that's what I wanted. I just want it out Mm. from the reality of not hearing my little baby footsteps run around in the house on the wooden floor. I want it out from the memories of the failures that I had as a husband over my wife. I want it out from the times I didn't show up to some of my son's games because I'm running around trying to make money and I'm putting other things. You know, I want it out from the guilt, from the loneliness, from being just a single dad a long day i want a little girl who kept saying daddy why won't mama come home Mm. i want it out but the only way to come out to get out (laughs) is to pray